it's a permanent living cloud kill that uh that created this clearing don't even worry about it it'll be fine take a nap <laughs> i wouldn't call it a glade so much as a cemetery Live from a dangerous old growth in New York City. I'm your host, Shane. And I'm your host, Yishin. And welcome to episode 356 of Total Party Thrill, a podcast for game masters and players where we discuss our campaigns in order to inspire yours. In this episode, we're talking about adventuring in forest environments. But first, the party scratches one off the list in the Gates of Morning campaign. And later, the Temple Raider of Oladamara uncovers your sacred relics and steals them in the Character Creation Forge. Finally, actually does this time. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, so Shane, yes. Look, when you know better, you must do better. Okay. Okay. And I, I think when I don't like this you have... at all. <laughs> this is why I prefer to remain <laughs> ignorant. Don't don't tell me anything. When you have made a mistake, as we have obviously done, uh, you need to own up to it. Uh, you need to admit it. Uh, and so. Uh, here we are with a with a bit of contrition, mostly mostly you, which I think you owe our listeners, because in our last episode, all about the Yankee, at no point did you put on your country lawyer accent to complain about damn Gith Yankees. <laughs> okay, all right, fair enough. I I guess I will own that failure. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Now look, it wasn't just you. All right, I left uh, Gith Yankee Candle Company right there on the table. Didn't even pick uh-huh. it up. Uh-huh. Um, Gith Yankee Doodle Dandy, I did nothing with. And now that I think about it, maybe it's time for a Baldur's Gate playthrough with a Gith Yankee bard who plays a flute, maybe. Uh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> did he play a flute? Was that his thing? He had a... Yeah, yeah, it's a fife, right? Sure, okay, great. And then, like, uh, I think they only have a hand drum in the game. So you don't have, like, uh, you know, like a whatever two-handed drum that that you could throw over your back. Uh, I'm sure there's a mod that has, like, a kettle pot hat. Uh, and there's plenty of, like, jaunty buttoned clothing that... Oh, sure. Yeah. Are there breeches? I, yeah, those, like, everyone's wearing breeches. It'll be, it'll, be, it'll be perfect. Look, as long as you don't try to get me to cheer for the New York Gith Yankees, we're okay. Yeah. <laughs> And look, look, that's on us. We used to game in the South Bronx, literally uh, one subway stop away from Githyanki Stadium. Yeah, so, we used to be interrupted by Githyanki games and the extra traffic. Right. We were Githyanki Nation. What, yeah. what were we doing? Right. So, um, listeners, we apologize. Uh, it's our fault. Also, we forgot to mention the name Githyanki was just wholesale stolen from George R.R. R. Martin. That is a fun fact that I was reminded of uh, afterwards. I Amazing. Just amazing. Like some of the odd things he has his little fingerprints on. Yeah, yeah. Uh, like and, what, and what a silly name. Dance, you know? <laughs> <laughs> Apparently, like he didn't know until many years later. And I think the author was like worried about it and eventually told him. And Martin, you know, at that point was like, you know much more famous than he was in 1977 or whatever when it was written. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he's like, that's hilarious and I don't care. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Nobody read that book. 
you mentioned Baldur's Gate 3. Uh, oh, I did. Well, Oops. I have moved on to uh, a new computer RPG that has tangential relevance to our listeners in that Owlcat, uh, the maker of the Pathfinder, the two Pathfinder computer RPGs, uh, Kingmaker and Wrath of the something or other, uh, has released Warhammer 40k Rogue Trader, heavily inspired by the FFG Rogue Trader system. Um, so that's my holidays. <laughs> what? How do you play it? Like who? Who do you control? You control. Uh, and stop me if you've heard this one before. Uh, uh. The rogue trader who takes over after the unexpected death of the head of their <laughs> dynasty. <laughs> okay. Were they killed by weird warp shenanigans? And Zinch's plan? You betcha. <laughs> <laughs> so I'll be expecting my royalty check, Alcat. You put me back on the review list, and now I've done this. Is uh, Do you play the single character going through an adventure, or is it like a, I don't know, an RTS? No, 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 no. It's one of the spiritual successors to, like, Baldur's Gate, Black Isle-style uh, uh, okay, okay. RPGs. Yeah, so it, it right, has... So you're walking um, around and checking stuff out. It's it's not resource management in space. No, no, no. It's 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 the same gameplay as Baldur's Gate. It's, ro- it's, I mean, ro- obviously, it's Rogue like, Trader. What are, what are you talking about? Uh, there's no well, resource management. You throw dead bodies at it. Well, that is part of it. Uh, Warp engine not working. Throw dead bodies at it. Well, I, I, what I will say is, what made, um, what made the previous Alcat games sort of unique was they added a management layer on top of the, you know, kind of classic, uh, dungeon crawling D and D isometric party romp, right? So Rogue Trader has that element as well. So you are the Rogue Trader. You're, you know, left clicking turn-based combating, um, all that sort of stuff. But then there's also sort of a realm management, ship management, crew management angle as well. Uh, I'm not far enough to really tell how that works um, or how similar or different that is from Rogue Trader. But at the very least, at the character level, um, oh boy, do I have talents. (laughs) (laughs) And it has the, you know, the 10 stats of of the Uh original Rogue Trader and the D100 and all that stuff. Wow. Uh, no, they're not randomly rolled. You do, oh, you point you by do it. pick the advances. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, but uh, yeah, the architects not are different. real 40K. I mean, it's, it's no, it's it's a real, <laughs> I, I will say it's a, uh, it's what I, what I feel confident saying right now. And it's still just a, a few hours in and kind of the early stages is uh, they chose to adapt the system the way that it should have always been which is run by a computer (laughs) uh, (laughs) when you could just bake in all the modifiers right there uh it really mm -hmm, sings mm -hmm. that's what i'll say (laughs) where no one has to remember what fiddly bonus do i have Uh right because the game you know basically if you played the tabletop game baseline you have like a 30 percent chance to do anything but once you calculate the modifiers, you're anywhere between, you know, 60 to 130%. Right, exactly. Um, also, or, you know, negative 40 and you don't bother. Well, also, great improvement that they made. They just decided to manipulate critical damage. Uh, instead of using the, the comedy tables, it's just extra uh-huh. damage. But uh, crit percentage is now sort of independent of the, like, base roll. So... 
if you if your to hit would go over a hundred percent, that instead increases your crit chance, which is oh. you know the company who adapted Pathfinder comes up with that mechanic. Hmm, I see some inspiration. So yeah, I'm into this. Okay, uh, but it is nice because it gives a it, it gives crit chasing a specific kind of like path that you can optimize and then there's also because you can control the frequency of crits there's a reason to have mechanics that also influence the severity of crits because they've gotten rid of the crit charts so now it's you know like it's just extra damage so you manipulate the extra crit damage it works much better. so they've gotten rid of the ridiculousness of you know looking up on the chart to see what like body part explodes well Maybe. I think so. I mean, they still have devastating wounds, so it's it's okay. possible that, like, <laughs> you know, you still just take the wound immediately, even if it's not a, a, a ridiculous look on a table. Um, Are there still grenade cascades? Damage. I haven't seen one of those yet, but, mm, you know, okay. fingers crossed. I haven't found well, any grenades yet, just some melted bombs. Just equip a Laz right. uh, and just see what happens. Well, I have one of those. Um, so yeah, so it is so far been interesting. I will be demanding my royalties, um, but otherwise, like I'm, I'm enjoying it. So uh, I will say, haven't gotten far enough to know if it's a typical Owlcat release of a lot of bugs at launch. Uh, so once I get out of Act One, I'll let you know. <laughs> but uh, yeah, we'll probably talk about that more uh, in the coming weeks. All right, where are we in the Gates of Morning campaign? So the Gates of Morning campaign is our fifth edition D&D game set in Eberron, a sequel of sorts to the original Morning Glory campaign. And high in the mountains, the party is trying to stop the quarry from finding the gatekeeper's seals and unleashing the chaos of Zoriad onto the material plane. With Xan, the warlock back in action, thanks to the intervention of Primus, the full party is finally arrayed in force against the corrupted Mindseed Nalith atop the Gate of Earth. And Nalith, puppeted by Kirzan the Dalkir, cuts his losses. The sea of thick ooze surrounding the gate surges high above, briefly forming a dome above their heads, and he leaps straight up to escape into the acre. But Forig, still coughing up ooze, rises from the slick stone. Attacking his fellow Mindseed seems to pain him, but true to the bargain he struck with the party, he grips Nalith with a telekinetic hold in midair, then slams him onto the gate with a wet crunch. At once, the party is on him. Lightning flashes from two directions, and a pulse of psychic feedback fries Nalith's mind. When Switch's rapier pins him to the flagstones, the light that floods from his eyes is not psionic might, but divine retribution. He falls limp, and the body of the poor sellsword Nalith, twice possessed by forces far beyond his control, lies finally still. Their common enemy defeated, the truce is now broken, and a newly invigorated Xan swings for Vorig's head with his glaive. The Mindseed barely has time to throw up a telekinetic shield that saves his life. Then he leaps backward off the gate and teleports away with a flash of psionic light. But the ooze is still surging all around them. With a calm, quiet voice, Primus speaks into their minds. Now the purification can commence. The shadowy cube floats over the center of the gate, and beneath it, a pool of Biashk begins to bubble from the interlaced geometric lines. 
The whole tower glows with a violet light that repulses the ooze, driving it back. And the further it retreats, the more it diminishes, until all that is left are the stony remains of several dozen Earth elementals, the shattered guardians of the Gate of Earth. Haste is essential, Primus intones. The party feels their wounds knit together, and they are refreshed. I cannot venture from this place, Primus continues, but I know how to aid you. And on each of their palms, save Zan, a crystal shard appears. Shatter this when you need me, but be careful. There will be a cost, and I can only help you once. In game terms, Zan gained a level, and shattering the crystal uh, saves them from death one time and uh, gives them an additional level. They accept Primus' offer to teleport them wherever they need to go next, and after a quick debate, the matter is settled. Fire, they chant in unison. find out what happens next next week so this week we are continuing our series on different adventuring environments and today we are talking about forests it really feels like we should have started with forests because that's where every campaign starts it does feel that way right like mm-hmm. outskirts of a forest yeah as, as i was putting this together i was just like hmm forests are like always the place you start right before you get to the dungeon <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you got to go through the forest. It's, it's never, right? You never start off at like level one, level two. We trudge through the desert to go to our first dungeon, right? That's, right. that's dungeon number two is <laughs> <Exactly>. the desert. <laughs> it might, or maybe I'm just thinking of Diablo 2. <laughs> yeah, so I mean forest, you know, trees, underbrush, uh, winding paths, roots, um, all those kinds of things. Um, as well as like... There's the, the the various permutations of the of the forest as well, right? You have your like your lush green kind of inviting elfin forest. You have your desolate, uh, like twisted haunted forest. You have your impenetrable, deadly jungle, you know, rainforest. Um, plenty of different versions. All of them have a place in games. Yeah, and I think. I mean, obviously, there are several reasons that forests show up so much and so much in the early game. Obviously, one is, um, you know, if you're looking at the sort of like Western European um, inspiration for like original D&D, like the environment is uh, you're in a town or a city, a field or forest. That's basically it. Those are your options. Um, uh, and, And but these are also environments that are relatively safe save for wolf pack and bear right like save for animals that uh even low level level villagers usually have methods for combating uh so you can adventure in a relatively safe environment like it's the it's the baby gated play area of <laughs> of rpgs the forest you know <laughs> yeah i guess we'll, we'll talk about how safe they are there's <laughs> there's a lot of stuff that shows up in forests um yeah and when we talk it'll be interesting to see like what is like traditional forest stuff and which is like oh let's put horrible nasty thing here in the forest yeah i mean the other thing about the forest uh with the exception i think of like tropical jungle 
right, is the environment is rarely out to kill you. Um, sometimes it's dangerous for you know reasons. Um, sometimes it's the the wildlife that's there, or just you know or who's the, taking or the up hag residence. Who well, lives right, in the yeah, woods, like, right? Yeah, it's a big like, scary woods. Certainly taking up residence inside it. Um, right, but, but like, that's not the woods themselves. Right, exactly. Like, <laughs> the, the the trees. I mean, I suppose with you know that one notable exception of those trees, the trees are not out to get you, um, unless you're a dwarf. Like the, you know, like the roots aren't like twisting you up. There's no quicksand that's going to like uh, entrap you. You know, there's no rushing rapids to uh, sink your boats. <laughs> you know, like you, you just, they, they tend to be a, a relatively safe place to travel through as long as you can um, manage the living things that call the forest home. Right. If Tolkien hobbits make the forest their home, then it is safe. Right. Because otherwise there would just be no Tolkien hobbits. Right. If, you know. They really don't have survival skills. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> uh, and and I, <laughs> one thing I really like about forests is contrary to a lot of other sort of what we might, I might call stereotypical environments that show up in RPGs, uh, is that for the most part, they tend to be seasonal in that, uh, you know, when you have an ice planet in Star Wars, it's a single biome, right? If you're in a tundra, it's cold and there's ice all the time and it doesn't matter when in the year. If it's a desert, it's hot and dry and it doesn't matter what time of the year, you know? But in a forest, you can have um, different looks, different feels, different kinds of creatures, different hazards, and different challenges all depending on the time of year you're in, as long as you're in, you're in a temperate, deciduous, or evergreen forest, right? So summer looks very different. Foraging is very different. The animals you encounter, and even the description that you read off box text or that you conjure for players in their minds looks very, very different uh, between, you know, midsummer and midwinter. Well, that's an interesting point because foraging is one of the like explicitly like rarely a challenge in a, yeah, in a yeah. forest right and, and and then you know obviously like when you mix in seasonality right like foraging for anything in winter in any environment is difficult but like your odds have got to be better in a forest right um so it's like it's interesting because that's almost like a one of the reasons that forest is such a non-threatening environment, right, is that it, it has those resources. Yeah. So, you know, let's let's stop uh, talking about how easy it is to live in a forest. Let's talk about some of the challenges that you might encounter, because that's probably, uh, as a GM and a player, what you're looking for, right? Things to kill mm -hmm. or things that will kill you. Well, let's start with like, I don't know. 75% of the monster manual has a reason to be yeah, in a forest. Uh -huh. <laughs> like probably only like 30 to 40% call it home at various times. You know, most of the beasts, plenty of different uh, sentient and sapient creatures are, are happy to call forests home. But boy, there's a lot of reason for just about anything to be in a forest if you need it. <laughs> uh huh. Uh huh. Yeah. It's, you know, it has that benefit of being uh, outdoors um open public but also if you need it you know the heart of the forest 
is often very secluded and difficult to get to. So it can be very private, um, which could draw any manner of like plots or purposes to a forest. Meaning you can run into just about anything in the wrong part of that forest. In a forest, typically you don't have you don't have a lot of visual distance, right? You can't see very far. Uh, so it's very easy to get lost. That's, you know, one of the the main drivers like fairy tales is you get lost in the woods, mm -hmm. right? And then that's right. when you discover, you know, the terrifying thing in there. Uh, whereas, you know, you can see to the horizon on, on the ocean. But then at the same time, the navigation hazard uh, plays a big role in both of those scenarios. And so I think, you know, even if you're at low levels, or maybe especially when you're at low levels um, and you don't have magic to assist you, play up the the confusingness, right? The the directionlessness that you can feel in a forest as soon as you get off any kind of like deer path or you know cart path, right? Anything that isn't already trodden. Um, there's a reason that is it isn't trodden, especially if this is like a low level area near a settlement. There's a reason why animals have not been using this path to get to resources or streams or food or whatever, right? There's a reason right. that people have not regularly been walking this path. What is that? Is it because it's near, you know, foraging grounds for bear? Is it because a wolf pack is nearby? Is it because there's a bandit camp nearby and, you know, they kill all the game? Is it because it was been raised to the ground by fireball? Uh, and that's why there's so much undergrowth. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> it is, it, it's interesting because you just also described levels, right? Of like, if you stick to the path, navigation in a forest is pretty trivial, right? Mm -hmm. Because there's often a trail or a road or, or um, you know, at least a cart path type thing that, that navigates the forest fairly safely. Um, if you go off the path, you have like your sort of hunters trails or game trails you know those kind of like uh you know the the sort of paths that are available to people who know how to look for them but otherwise like might not be obvious to to the inexperienced and then you have your just proper lost in the woods right like your your nightmare scenario of not only do you not know where you are but you also are struggling for any type of landmark to help identify it uh and that that visual distance or the lack thereof is what creates the sort of you know the the canopy above you and the the underbrush kind of like pressing in on you creates that claustrophobia um that becomes the challenge itself right of, of navigating your way out of it right lost in an ocean of trees right um which i think like all of those are interesting ways to uh, apply skills and overcome like those certain challenges, right? Um, and you run into that situation of like, well, if you are a, a skilled woodsman who would never get lost, even in a strange forest, and you find yourself lost, what does that tell you about what's going on in this forest, right? Yeah. Um, with the, the exception, of course, is like the trope of jungle is always you know, visual distances in front of your nose and therefore navigation is a nightmare. <laughs> right. And things, know, are, the, things are actually idea, deadly here. Right. The idea that like you might just tire yourself out trying to wade through the underbrush uh, and, and find yourself trapped before you get a chance to even navigate. Right. Um, 
which is a little bit different than I think, you know, your typical kind of forest encounter. Yeah. For the most part, I like that forests allow you this useful lever for difficulty, right? And both for players and GMs. Like if, if the party sticks to the path, then it's very reasonable for a GM to say, you're on the path, you're safe. Um, and for a party to be like, we don't want any trouble, we stick to the path, you know? And then, you know, basically the game at that point becomes about enticing them off the path or chasing them off the path, right? right. Um, but there's also a scenario in which you can say, you're on the path, you're basically in a shipping lane. This is where everyone knows to come find you. <laughs> this is where the bandits set up their blockade. Right, Obviously, exactly. if you want trouble, it's the path. Right. And and you can make that known before a journey, right? Like, oh yeah, you stuck to the path, you'll be safe. Great. You know, we know what we need to prepare for, for the most part. Or there are rumors of brigands here on the the board in the town you know if you stick solely to the path that's a problem i think what you need is an accomplished guide mm -hmm. and for players too you signal that to to your gm right here is why we want we don't want to stick to the path is that a dumb idea is this the kind of forest that you you don't want to do that in oh i mean do we need to be much more prepared absolutely <laughs> <laughs> the answer to that question yes, is, it is always, is always yes. Yes. <laughs> yes. It's that kind of chuckle. <laughs> uh, yeah, the, the Temple of Elemental Evil is actually just over a couple of hills. Yeah. No one walks in that direction, but it's not very well hidden. I think there's also an element of... There's, there's an element of jungle where... Or there's an element of forest where there's... The sort of like naturalistic traps like the ewok traps fit in mm -hmm. here as challenges much better than they do in, in just about any other environment right like the idea of like the hunter snare or the pitfall trap or just you know you you know the, the two colliding logs trap a classic yeah exactly or you know <laughs> the the tripwire and the claymore right like you know th those kind of things like they they just that's not something you encounter in the in the desert, right? Like it's not the th that's yeah. not what you encounter in tundra, um, and, and in most cases, it's not something that you see either outside of like dungeons, uh, of course, or like all but the most fortified of like urban environments, right? Like it's just not a thing you see in other places. But like it's not uncommon that you might fall into a hunter's trap or, you know, if it is a, a bandit camp that you're approaching or a goblin camp or whatever, right. Or j just, you know, an adventuring, a wise adventuring party making camp and setting a perimeter, right? Like you have that risk in a way that is just more voluminous and, and I suppose like exotic, <laughs> Like the the ways that the the forest can be turned into a trap are innumerable. <laughs> yeah, it's dungeon esque, right? Mm -hmm. Where because you have low line of sight, it means that it's pretty easy, mechanically speaking, to section off different parts of forest into you know the path, which is a hallway, and a clearing, which is a room, you know, and a, right. and a glade, and a copse of trees and you know like um it allows you to section off the encounters 
or to slowly dole out information so that players don't necessarily know what they're getting into. Um, whereas, you know, you can see an island off the horizon, whatever, you know, 17 miles away, uh, mm -hmm. as soon as you like see how close enough to it. Um, be, and I think part of this comes from like forests in general are high resource environments. And yes, that makes it easier to find food if you need it, to find game, to find supplies, right? Like, you know, are we looking for furs? I mean, that this is why traders went to the forest to, um, you know, find things to trade, right? Uh, but it also means that who, whomever you're encountering also has access to a lot of resources, which is why avoid the kobold warrens in a forest because they've got a lot more to work with. You know, they they are going to be able to make every possible trap that they they can conceive of. Uh, to guard this little hidey hole that uh, you're trying to delve through. Those tend to be the, let's say, man-made traps. <laughs> there are a few um, natural hazards and, and traps uh, in forests as well. I mean, again, like, as you get into more tropical climates, you can run into things like disease, dehydration, exhaustion, right? Like th those kinds of things um, where the, the effort of, um, of, of like making pace through the environment can be taxing. Um, but then you can also run into things like um, <laughs> the, the simplest is like, what's the worst thing you could trip and fall into, <laughs> right? Like, because the floor of a forest is surprisingly not even, right? Uh -huh. It's not level, even if it's level land. Like you have roots and you have creatures and you have different, you know, burrows and things like that. Uh, any one of which could snag your feet, um, twist an ankle, uh, you know, knock you prone in a suboptimal location like right in a spider's clutches for example <laughs> or you yeah. know face to face with a bear with the opening of a bear's uh well maybe not cave but you know a, a badger's burrow a dire badger's burrow this isn't a nice opportunity to make that nature check based on the color of that bear right <laughs> <laughs> is this a lie down or a runaway and just jump up and yell scenario right. Uh, better not fail that check. <laughs> Quickly Google, what color is dire? <laughs> uh, very brown? Uh-oh. Uh, yeah, are you adventuring near the fall line? Because the worst thing you can fall into is... Nothing. Down. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, the fall line is probably the what I should have been looking for. But exactly, right? It's the it's the sudden drop, right? It's, just, it's the, you know, the the granite outcropping that drops away into nothing, um, but all under the canopy of the trees. So inobvious if you're not looking for it. Right. It's, you know, John Smith bumbling his way through uh, Virginia. Um, <laughs> in your game, give him an unhappy ending. Okay. Because you can do sure. that. That's what RPGs are for. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I like to sort of parse this into like the, the natural hazards and traps into environment and then flora and fauna. And again, there are so many levers here, right? Like you can have a walk in the woods be 
quite safe so that children could do it, right? Like the forest floor is mossy or it, you know, it's covered in fallen leaves or, you know, fresh crunchy snow and, you know, the right. trees are 15 feet apart and you can, you know, see fairly well. What is this, the 100 uh, acre wood? Yeah, yeah, exactly, right? Um, like toy animals can play here all the way up to Fangorn Forest and the trees are out to kill you. Mm-hmm. Um, and in the same way, the animals as well. Um, how dangerous are they? You know, if it's spring, then we're dealing with little critters and it's fine. But if you want to ratchet up the difficulty, their mothers are angry that you're near the, the babies, right? Um, and And as you move into deadlier environments, all you need to do uh, both to signal that and to create a, a bigger challenge is take the same exact kind of creature or encounter and make it more deadly. Like everywhere you look in a forest, you will find mushrooms mm-hmm. that are good foraging. Um, but once you get to a certain point, some of those mushrooms are deadly. Right. And can you distinguish between the two of them? And now suddenly... Like one thing we, we talk about is the, the trope of like for, once you can forage, it becomes a non-issue in the game because, you know, you just you just succeeded it. But it is an interesting challenge to suddenly realize, oh, wait, yes, I can forage as much food as we need, but how much of it is going to kill us? And in this in the same way, you know, like when you get into rainforests, a good way to signal that this is a this is different from like a more traditional like temperate forest is the, the deadliness. Yeah, humidity. Humidity as an environmental hazard. Deadliness of creature, right? Like there are snakes in a temperate forest. The snakes in a tropical forest, probably poisonous, probably more poisonous. Uh, the frogs, the frogs in a in a rainforest, probably poisonous, probably more poisonous. You know, right. uh, spiders, even the small ones, they don't need to be like giant and large spiders, like. I think I was watching this doc, this documentary one time. It was taking place in a rainforest and, and it sort of really struck me. This is sort of the the touchstone I use for deadly, like a deadly version of something familiar was there was a, a spider that had dug a burrow in, I think it was in the Amazon. And then a snake comes looking to eat the spider, you know, so it goes down to the burrow Except what happens here is not that the snake chases and kills and eats the spider. It's that the spider fights back because these two are at the same rank on the food chain. (laughs) And all that matters is who bites whom first because the poison will kill the other. That's real real rocket tag they're entering into here. <laughs> Literally, right? And the spider just happened to get this snake first and then ran away. The snake died and the spider came back and peeled the snake like a banana and ate it. Like, <laughs> so it it is, it's a good thing to sort of surprise your players with and players like be on the lookout for this when suddenly your game fights back much harder than you're used to. Yeah. And maybe not just with horn. The other kind of interesting piece of this is like, you know, we, we talk about the challenge might be the encounter, like the monster manual stat blocks that can appear here, but like a particularly venomous snake or a, you know, deathly poisonous spider or the, you know, (laughs) poison arrow frog, uh, tipped, uh, dart. 
like those things are not stat blocks that you contend with, right? They are events that you must navigate uh, and, mm. and problems that you must solve in a different way than simply pull out your sword and fight it first, right? Like the, so, and similar to like, which of this food, which of these mushrooms are safe, like the act of foraging, right? Like maybe you don't need to ingest the mushrooms in this fantasy world. Maybe the spores of the mushrooms from how you harvest them are the hazard so it becomes less a question of can you and uh, and more a question of do you have the technique to right why are these mushrooms arrayed in a circle around this glade well i don't know but there's a lot of moonlight uh, huh uh <laughs> <laughs> well <laughs> since we're approaching a moonlit glade i suppose we should talk encounters uh and the way you find that moonlit glade is, of course, to first be lost in the woods, <laughs> mm -hmm. which mm -hmm. I think is the uh, the ever-present branching path of anything bad that happens in a forest happens because first you are probably lost. Um, nobody stumbles upon, you know, the entrance to the Fey Realm in the forest looking for it. <laughs> which is why, as an adventuring party, you must always be prepared to get lost in the forest. Because it can always happen with a few bad rolls. And as a GM, you always have in your back pocket, the party gets lost in the forest. Uh, especially if, you know, if, if you are playing in a, a fantasy setting, then there are lots of reasons why you might get lost in a place that you don't expect to get lost in. A place that you know, like the back of your hand, is suddenly different and weird. Why? Well, it's Fae. It's the Fae. Yeah. Or, you know, the trees literally uprooted and moved. Yeah, uh-huh. While you were sleeping. Right. All the trees turned 90 degrees. Ha-ha-ha. <laughs> <laughs> That'll show those dwarves. Get back underground. Uh, and I, I like that, you know, there's a typical bandit camp, right? Um, and it's it's very common to have to, like, go fight the bandits, go kill the bandits, go talk to the bandits, ally with the bandits or whatever, right? Um, but remember, like, this trope comes out of the whole Robin Hood story, right? Like they are merry men living in the woods, but why are they in the woods, right? They're there for reasons other than uh, we're essentially foraging from travelers, right? right. They're there they because, rent. yeah, right. Yeah, it's, it's, <laughs> and now, now Benny though, he wants to charge us rent here in the forest. And <laughs> yeah, so <laughs> what an <laughs> <asshole>. <laughs> They Prince call John, it gentrification. <laughs> <laughs> but remember, the reason that they were there is they were rebels right. trying to plan a coup. So, yeah, you're in a wilderness adventure or whatever, and now suddenly you've stumbled into political intrigue, and there's a reason to go to the castle. There's a reason to start stocking munitions. There's a reason to have a Guy Fox plot, you know? Like, anyone can be in the woods, and what that means is sometimes... People have escaped to the woods. You can meet anyone there. And now suddenly you're roped into any other plot threads that the party might be interested in or that you want to introduce just because the party happens to have been in the forest. Yeah, I mean, the forest is not just the natural home of wood elves and, and the like. It's also the natural home of partisans and gorillas. Yeah. So, like, <laughs> You know, you may not have elves in your game, but you probably have some displaced group that is certainly looking for violent revenge. That's what yeah, the like game Smurfs. is for. <laughs> right. They're just there biding their time. <laughs> Try these Smurf berries. 
sucker. We mentioned a couple other, uh, I think, creatures that are pretty iconic woods encounters, right? Fae um, of, of various sorts, and then hags uh, of the more um, <laughs> uh, negative <laughs> connotations uh, amongst the Fae, I think, are probably the, the one to highlight, right? Like, um, often, like, you have an, an entry to a court, uh, might be through a forest, or, you know, the the hag makes her um, hut in the woods, and that's where her base of operations is. Um, I think it's all clear. You know, the only tracks I see are chicken tracks. They're 10 <laughs> feet across, but I don't think that's a problem. I can no, take a big chicken. Yeah, should be fine. Yeah. I won't be undone yeah. by foul. <laughs> so... You know, you any part of your story that needs to show up can show up in the forest. But when it gets down to it, you're probably going to have a fight, mm -hmm. right? Like once you have survived the environment and navigated your way to the proper place, you're going to be ambushed or you're going to ambush or you're going to come head to head with the local denizens. So let's talk a bit about like actual combat in the forest. Yeah, I mean, I think the the first thing that stands out to combat in forest is the elements of cover and line of sight. So we, we've already talked about how like your visual distance is fairly low, um, but then you also often have either thickets or, you know, stones or stumps, you know, that provide either kind of hard physical cover or just blocking line of sight as well as just like you know the the trunk of a tree often is wide enough to hide a person behind especially when you know it's narratively convenient um so you have that kind of that element of the moving between cover dancing between the trees like range may not be as useful um, or might be useful in very fleeting moments before you close distance. Um, and then there's always that element of like, you can kind of almost like move quickly and create a form of stealth, right? Like by moving suddenly between cover, like you can, your opponent might lose track of where you are, which I think is pretty unique to just the, the volume and, and variety of cover that you find in a, forest environment yeah combat in a forest is about terrain 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 like in include it use it um even if you're doing theater of the mind right like i think there's a tendency to run combats in a forest as like basically in a park you know like okay we have our normal combat we're fighting or whatever and you know there's fall foliage around us and there's there's a stream and, and a couple of rocks. Um, a real forest is difficult to navigate and uneven and things grow wherever they happen to grow. You know, like if you're using a battle map, place as many things as you can so that they get in the way of the combat. And I think that ends up being frustrating at first until you understand where everything is uh you know it'll take like a, a round or two which makes the combat a little bit longer but it means that 
you can finally engage with parts of the game that you don't typically engage with in combat, which is like some of those exploration or skill checks, right? Like if the first thing you need to do in your turn is figure out like one, locate your target or two, navigate mm -hmm. to your target, you know, suddenly those abilities about like ignore, ignoring difficult terrain or being able to uh, jump far actually matters because you can jump this copse of trees or this stream or whatever, rather than, you know, wading through it in full plate. It means you can get to them this turn rather than next turn. It means that you can engage in melee rather than having to use your second string ranged attack. You know, all of these things now finally actually matter. Like there's a reason to engage with those rules, which means there's a reason to have those abilities. And so many of those abilities get thrown your character and you have them, but you never really get a chance to use them, especially outside of low levels, right? So you hide behind the cops of trees, you jump out behind the cops of trees, and the enemies are doing the same back and forth. You know, it is, mm -hmm. it becomes much more um, of a chess match rather than, you know, we charge each other across a snowy field and hack at each other standing still. So, so one thing that I like about this, because there's a, <laughs> it's, it's, it's a tough kind of phenomenon to describe, but if you, <laughs> Uh, because I have played way too much paintball in my life, um, this is my point of reference on this one. But like, if you've ever played like a game like that in the woods, right, where angles and distance and like positioning are important, and, and you know you're you're playing it in a you know in a forest environment, like there's always an acclimation period where you're not really sure on the sense of scale and distance and like, like it's, it's, it's not always clear. Like what, what is the boundaries of the arena here? Mm -hmm. Right? Like what is the table, the table, right? Exactly. Like <laughs> what is cover that you can use? <laughs> uh, like, and what is not right? What is a place that a person could be and what is not? Um, right, and what is just and aesthetics? Right, exactly. And like, you know, it, it, in, in paintball, it's, you know, there's, it's different, obviously, but like, th there's that element of like, well, where could a person be coming from? Because you can't watch all angles at the same time. And, and there's like those kind of questions, right? And it's almost like, if you think of like the, I don't know, the capture the flag episode of salute your shorts or something like that, right? Like you have kind of the same <laughs> classics, <laughs> right? But like the, but, but but like if you translate that into a game, right? And talking about using those kind of like survival skills, it's almost like you you almost build the map based on what's convenient to the survival skills and their the performance of the players, like or of the the characters, right? So like it's less a question of like does cover exist? Because of course it does. Like in some form or fashion, it's there wherever you are. It's a question of can you find it? and identify the right place to be to use the cover effectively from the wide angle of where you know the enemy could be approaching or trying to spot you from or whatever right and it, it just strikes me as like there's a there's an element of like the battlefield is like the 
the physical location might be known, but the value of each location on the battlefield isn't, right? And that's what that skill set, that survival skill set really comes into is like kind of being able to anticipate the usefulness of the environment rather than just understanding like, well, where is there a thick tree and where is there a brush and where is there, you know, a fallen log? Um, because a fallen log might be very good cover or it might have a big hole uh, or like a big gap that leaves you way exposed from the place where your your enemy wants to be. <laughs> and it's then, kinda, oops, that's not cover at all. <laughs> it's cover lengthwise, right? But it's not. It's not cover when you fire your arrow right through it, right? Right. You know, <laughs> it's a big like, old hole. Or like you know, you miss the fact that there's a. A, a, an 18 inch gap on the right side because it's at an angle and that gap is right where your thigh is while you crouch behind it <laughs> and now i think a lot of the reason we don't want to engage with this kind of stuff is it it feels like and it is a lot of paperwork and a lot of mental load to remember all this stuff so i think we've talked before about the torch right which is essentially like a list of interactive elements that you write down at the beginning of a combat. And usually the purpose of it is, one, to signal to everybody, here are things that you can interact with, but also to like give, you know, give them a small mechanical bonus or you know, something like that if someone does choose to use an item on the list. But remember, the torch doesn't have to be complete at the beginning of a combat. I think it's useful to put some things on the torch, right, to solicit uh, from... Uh, players as well, write some things down on the torch, uh, put it on the table. And then as people are in the combat and they're asking questions about the environment and they're asking, you know, well, can I do this? Is there an angle on the log or whatever? Will this provide me some cover if I duck behind it? You add them to the torch or as they're destroyed or whatever, you take them off the torch. And that signals that yes, these are things that you should keep in mind or can keep in mind to use or that the enemies will use. You can also put little notes in there, right? You cross them off when they're destroyed or you can write some of the mechanical benefits or penalties associated with it once you decide. You don't necessarily have to decide how thick is this particular piece of cover all the time. When someone's like, I want to find a particularly like Okay, that's a, that's a copse of trees over there and over there. Which one is actually going to provide me a mechanical bonus that I can actually hide behind? Oh, it's that one? Okay, great. I Obviously, I run behind that one, and then you right. just make a little note on the torch. Um, I suppose it's probably been a couple years since we've mentioned the torch. That's a mechanic from <laughs> Dawn Command. <laughs> but great for every game. Yeah, it's a, yeah it is. Uh, it's... Well worth looking up. Uh, the The idea being that you are um, writing down uh, objects or elements of the scene uh, before it begins so that everybody gets a chance to influence what the environment looks like. And then you get a bonus for uh, utilizing things that are on the torch um, on your turns. Right. So that's not a scenario where it's like, oh, can I you know, do a cool thing like pick up a chair and hit them in the face with it? You can, but mechanically, you're not going to hit them because you're not good with chairs, right? But it's on the torch, so I'm not going to penalize you for it. It's just a cool thing that happens. Right, exactly. I love that trees are tall. Uh-huh. Uh, so do not forget that trees are tall and can support the weight of full-grown people. And also bears. <laughs> and bears, yes. And... <laughs> 
<laughs> like when you meet Robin Hood, Robin Hood should always be high up in a tree, leaning against the trunk, where you don't expect him to be. That's probably also where Alan Adele is, honestly. You know, strumming a lute from above. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it adds uh, verticality and like an additional dimension to your combats that, again, can be engaged with and allow people to use abilities that they maybe don't see all that much in combat. Climb speeds, fly speeds, you know, like it's sort of annoying to be like we're in an open field and someone flies and that means no one can get to them. It's much more dynamic if someone flies, but hey, anyone can climb a tree and jump onto the flyer. Right. <laughs> or, you know, someone climb someone has already climbed a tree and now your fly speed has specific proactive purpose instead of purely playing keep away. Right, right. Or the barbarian can push this tree over onto the flyer. <laughs> yes. Or, hey, we need a fallen log. Oh, okay, I'll make a fallen log. <laughs> also, the tree has drop bears. <laughs> it does now. Yeah. Adding that uh, to the torch. <laughs> Uh, and then last uh, last piece of the terrain to, to kind of keep in mind there we, we mentioned earlier clearings um, in a world with fireball there's probably more forest clearings than there would yeah. be in the other world but you know a, a clearing uh, is one a natural part of the like ecology of a forest right lightning strikes for example happen um, they create clearings um, other types of you know like external forces act upon forests forests and therefore clearings begin those create a unique set of you know um risks and also benefits on one hand you can see the sky you can see the stars you can navigate and figure out where you are on the other hand the smoke of your of your campfire will uh will travel great distances and be visible um you are prone to ambush from the sides of the clearing um you may be you know you may have a larger perimeter to secure uh and one which may be difficult to you know get much visibility into so um just keep in mind that exists as sort of a a mix-up to the classic uh terrain environment yeah plus all the unnatural phenomena that have caused this clearing i.e the poisonous tree sitting in the center (laughs) yes or or the very mean fey (laughs) yeah (laughs) or this hole in the ground that just doesn't seem to have a bottom huh (laughs) yes filled with very mean fey (laughs) this this entry to the dungeon (laughs) (laughs) is this a miasma that's a that's a survival check Unless you want to inhale deeply and just see what happens. Then it's a medicine check. It's a permanent living cloud kill that uh, that created this clearing. Don't even worry about it. It'll be fine. Take a nap. I wouldn't call it a glade so much as a cemetery. So in conclusion, forests. <laughs> yeah. Is that, is that uh, not on brand for us? I think it's fine. <laughs> <laughs> I, I would be surprised if there's anybody out there who hasn't uh, experienced play in a forest. I think it is one of the like great archetypes uh, of of terrain that that should be explored for a lot of those reasons. So, um, you know, I I think when in doubt, my default is usually stick it in a forest or you know put it on a pirate ship. But but usually it's put it in a forest and. And I think if you haven't adventured in a forest 
recently, right? Again, it's usually low level. If if you are a powerful party, get get thee to a forest. GM, like set an encounter in a forest because now you have so many more abilities and resources to navigate the forest and it becomes that moment of returning to your humble beginnings and realizing how far you've come. Yeah, plus your ranger will thank you. Because I, I'm making a glade. <laughs> right. All right. Do you hear that, Ishan? Uh, I think I just foraged Bambi's mother. Well, then it's time. That's a, that's a pitfall. It's time to move on to the character creation forge and see if we can fill that growing hole in our hearts. But before we do that, let's talk about how our listeners can get in contact with us. We do love hearing from you. You can tweet at Shane at Mundangerous. That's M-U-N Dangerous. And you can tweet at Ishan at Evil Sans Carne. That's Malice minus Meat. And you can tweet at the show at TPTCast. You can also email us at TotalPartyThrill at gmail.com. And you can find us on the web at www.TotalPartyThrill.com. We're also on Facebook and Instagram at TotalPartyThrill. And join the conversation on Discord. There's a link in the show notes. All right, so this week in the Character Creation Forge, we have delayed the Temple Raider of Oladamara uh, from a couple weeks ago. But here, here it is. Shane, what is a Temple Raider and what is an Oladamara? <laughs> so Oladamara is the Forgotten Realms god of... Uh, <laughs> thievery. Stuff. <laughs> kind of. Right? <laughs> sort of. Don't make uh, us engage with the Forgotten Realms. Yeah, it's... Well, actually, I guess Olodomaro is from, like, Greyhawk, too, isn't it? Oh, uh, one of the originals? Yeah. Like, it's... Like, Olodomaro is, like, the... The the good rogue, I guess. The laughing rogue. Um, like, the, the idea is, like, it's not just... Um, you know, trickery and thievery and, and like banditry, but it's like, um, happy stuff, you know, wine and parties and I don't know, humor and tricks. Um, so either way, the, you know, the clerics of Olodomara are often rogues for obvious reasons, and they particularly, uh, enjoy sort of, um, Proving their their loyalty or their worship or demonstrating their faith by infiltrating other deities and stealing relics from their temples. All the more humorously if they can impersonate them first. I mean, if you're already there, you may as well get an, a boon from your god, right? Right. Yes, of, of course. So where you might have, uh, you know, in most, uh, most rogues might be looking for ancient temples that have long been uh, abandoned <laughs> or forgotten. <laughs> you know, the Temple Raider of Olitamara is not as mm, concerned about recent occupation or current use. <laughs> yeah, no, I just go, I just walk down the street. We have a, we have a rivalry. We go back and forth. Uh, okay, we don't go back and forth. I just steal we from go them. One it's way. like mascots. Yeah, yeah things yeah. go from your temple to mine <laughs> via right. I s my bag. <laughs> I stole the bones of their saint and then reassembled them on the roof. Uh, how are they going to get those down? <laughs> so this was the cleric thief uh, 
prestige class originally. Clerics don't usually get to have the kind of fun that rogues do because they're bad at it, but they're also often diametrically opposed when it comes to alignment. And here is your opportunity to merge the two together. Right, one of my favorite archetypes is Grey Guard, Paladin Rogue, Cleric Rogue. Not a thing you usually see, partially because the trickery cleric is not very good in 5th edition D&D, but there are ways to mitigate that. All right, so Shane, what is the build? So the build is Trickery Cleric 7, Thief Rogue 13. So from Cleric, we're getting 4th level spells. Um, <laughs> the domain spells are all way more on the nose than the original Prestige class. Like, it's... I don't... I don't I don't remember like the ins and outs of the spell list, but oh man, they're so bad. <laughs> like, <laughs> like the original spell list for this, like for the Temple Raider, was like you're just a healing cleric. It's awful. Then your channel divinity allows you to create the illusory duplicate of yourself to distract or use to cast spells, um, and then. Or to take the blame. Arrest that. Arrest yeah, exactly. that ruffian. Yep. Yes. Arrest me. Uh-huh. Uh, and then eventually you'll use Cloak of Shadows that then, you know, turn it invisible for a turn. So, like, eh, <laughs> I'll be fine. Eh, don't even worry about the duplicate. You can't see me anyway. Um, and then from, from 13 levels of Rogue, we're getting all the usual thief stuff. So you'll get fast hands, second story work. Uh, but then most importantly, you want use magic device at level 13 so that you are not restricted uh, in your ability to use the various relics that you are purloining from your targets. That's the best part is I have stolen this from you. Um, and now in order to make my escape, I shall I utilize it. <laughs> right. It's yes. once per century power to get out of here. Right. You would never because you are faithful. I would. Right. Because I am a scoundrel. <laughs> There's a 50% chance this holy relic crumbles to dust if I roll poorly. I don't care. Right. But not, not, not my deity, right? Right. Watch cool. me escape to the astral plane and deal 20 D6 damage to everybody around me. <laughs> uh, yes. So... That's basically what this is. <laughs> you are uh, unscrupulous, thieving, and uh, in generally, whatever it is you're after had better be powerful enough to power your escape. All right, before we wrap up, let's take a moment and thank our Patreon supporters. Your support is what makes it possible for us to keep doing this show. So if you'd like to learn more, you could check out all of our rewards at patreon.com slash totalpartythrill. So what do we have planned for next week's episode? We're talking about how to homebrew magic items. And in the character creation forge, we're building Lady Death, the World War II sniper, not the comic book character. Well, that's it for episode 356 of Total Party Thrill. I hope we lived up to our name, but either way, I'm Shane. And I'm Ishan. Thanks for listening. <laughs>